0: Today we continue our series of sermons entitled, Love One Another, in which we're considering how we're instructed in Scripture that we should treat each other, and most especially how we should treat each other as Christians, but it also extends to those who are not part of the body of faith. The Scripture is very clear to us that we, as Christians, are called to live by a very different set of rules. We cannot live as the world lives, especially in our relationship to other people, and most especially to our other Christian brothers and sisters. Today I want us to look at perhaps one of the most difficult of the requirements that we are given, and that is the commandment that we forgive one another. To begin with, I want us to look at the words of Jesus that are found in Luke, the 6th chapter, beginning with the 36th verse. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. This passage in Luke echoes the same message that Jesus has given us about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, which you recited just a moment ago. You'll remember that in the Lord's Prayer, He told us to pray, Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. And these passages in Luke 6 and in the Lord's Prayer are only two of the places where we're told in the New Testament that we will be forgiven to the extent that we forgive other people. In fact, there are a number of places in the New Testament where forgiveness of sins is directly connected to how willing we are to forgive other people. In one of Jesus' parables in Matthew 18, he tells us the story about a servant whose master forgives an enormous debt from one of his servants. And afterwards, that servant who has been forgiven a great debt goes out to his fellow servant and refuses to forgive a very small debt. The master in anger consigns the unforgiving servant to prison. In the same way, after the Lord's prayer is given to us in Matthew 6, Jesus comes back and emphasizes even more the connection between our willingness to forgive others and God's forgiveness of us. When he says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus says what amounts to the same thing earlier in Matthew when he gives us the Beatitudes. You will remember one of the Beatitudes is Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. That Beatitude has a clear qualification in it. When it says the merciful will receive mercy, it clearly means that those who are not merciful will not receive mercy. Think about that. If you want to receive mercy, you must show mercy. If you want forgiveness, you must show forgiveness. But if you have no mercy, if you have no forgiveness, then you will not be shown mercy by God. You will not be forgiven. It's very simple. It is repeated a number of times to make sure we get it. That God will forgive us only insofar as we forgive others who have wronged us. This is really rather terrifying when you think about it, especially when you think about the fact that the Lord's Prayer says this. When we pray this prayer, which we do every week here, we are saying that we agree with God, that he should forgive us only if we forgive other people. That is indeed a fearful thing. St. Augustine in the 5th century Call this the terrible petition. Because if we have not been forgiving to others and we pray this prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, we in effect are asking God not to forgive us if we have not been forgiving. Make sure you see this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are appealing to God to only forgive us if we forgive others. The Puritan preacher and writer Thomas Watson said it quite simply. A man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century English preacher, said of this part of the Lord's Prayer, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. This is not something we want to hear. Part of us rebels against the idea that Even if we profess faith in Jesus, we still could be condemned by God for not forgiving. We could not be forgiven by God. But this isn't my idea. It's not Thomas Watson's. It's not Charles Spurgeon. Remember, Jesus said, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's very clear. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote, No part of Jesus' teaching is clear, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive people's sins, providing they are not too frightful, or providing there are extenuating circumstances. We are not to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however, I'm sorry, we are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. Are you scared yet? Well, there really isn't any need for us to be frightened as long as we have forgiven and continue to forgive others. But my brothers and sisters, if you have ever said something like, well, God will have to forgive that person because I can't. Or if you've ever seen someone who has slighted you fall into difficulty or grief and you have said to yourself, well, she certainly deserves that if you have ever refused to listen to an enemy or an opponent who approached you for reconciliation, if you have ever thought, I cannot forgive that person or even talk to him, the sin, the betrayal, the grief was just too great. Brothers and sisters, if you have ever thought or said or done any of those things or anything else that reflects an unwillingness to even try to forgive, I am fearful that you have put yourself in the danger of hellfire. If you have ever been wronged and you have continued to dwell on that wrong, rubbing it like a sore tooth and thinking of all the delicious ways that you might exact appropriate and deserved retribution, if you have ever in any way planned or even simply hoped for revenge, you are calling down God's judgment on your own head. It doesn't get any more serious than that. The story is told of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, when he was in the American colonies before we were the United States. Wesley approached the general, James Oglethorpe. Oglethorpe was the founder of the state of Georgia, and he was a man known for his great pride. Wesley went to Oglethorpe to ask him to forgive a man who had been sentenced to a very severe punishment for what seemed like a minor crime. General Oglethorpe responded, I never forgive. To which Wesley replied, Then I hope, sir, that you never sin. Wesley knew that when we insist on not forgiving, and especially when we treat an unforgiving spirit as though it were a virtue, then we ourselves cannot be forgiven. I've told the story before of Pori Ten Boom, who later in her life was reminded by her secretary about someone who previously had done her a great injustice. And Corey Ten Boom, who, of course, you remember from The Hiding Place, um, Corey insisted that she did not remember this great slight. And her secretary insisted, Corey, you must remember it. It was a terrible betrayal. It disrupted our lives for months. But Corey responded, no, I don't remember it. In fact, I distinctly remember having forgotten it. Now, many people would disagree with Corey Tenboom's kind of forgiveness because they think that anger is necessary to fuel the struggle for justice, the effort to right great wrongs, and that if we forgive, we will lose that anger and therefore we'll lose our passion for trying to find justice in the world. But we as Christians must disagree with that. We must say, no, I will forgive and I will struggle for justice. I may still be angry, but my struggle for justice will be purified by forgiveness, and therefore it will be all the more effective, because I am being obedient to God's instruction to me. But how can we forgive the person or persons who have done wrong if they don't even acknowledge their wrongdoing, if they never ask us for forgiveness? It's fairly commonly assumed that a person who has done wrong must be contrite. They must ask for forgiveness before the wronged party can be expected to apologize or grant forgiveness. And when the wrong is huge, this is often thought to be impossible. How can we forgive great evil, great betrayal, great injustice? How can those who suffered in the Holocaust forgive Adolf Hitler and his henchmen? How can the relatives of the 9-11 victims forgive Osama bin Laden? Or Stalin, or Pol Pot, or Charles Manson? Can the surviving victims ever forgive those whose actions appear to be pure evil? Let's be fair, that's a very hard question. And it's not one that those of us who have not had to endure that kind of suffering can easily answer. That would be trite. But we do have an example to follow. One who was horribly and wrongly betrayed and tortured and killed whose enemies felt no remorse and asked for no forgiveness. Yet despite a complete lack of repentance by the perpetrators of this great evil, there was a voice from the cross who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Neither Pilate, nor the high priest, nor the Roman soldier offered any apology to Jesus, Yet he prayed for divine forgiveness for them in the very midst of their brutality. On the cross, Jesus, who was completely innocent of any wrongdoing, asked God the Father to forgive his tormentors. And it was not a cry of weakness, but a cry of astonishing strength. You see, we must forgive those who wrong us. All those who wrong us, whether they ask for forgiveness or not, not because we cannot forgive. Not only because we cannot be forgiven unless we forgive, but because Jesus told us to. He told us we were to be different from the rest of the world that bears grudges and seeks revenge. There's even a word you may or may not know, schadenfreude. Do you know that word? It means taking pleasure in someone else's discomfort or problem. It's thought to be very cool. But Jesus told us we were to be different from the rest of the world, that we were to love and to forgive. And not only did he tell us that, but then he showed us how to forgive. As the Apostle Paul writes in the third chapter of Colossians, and I think we have that slide as well, don't we? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, Gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And here it is Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We may think it's impossible to forgive a great wrong against us or against others, but the reason we believe we can't forgive is that our focus is in the wrong place. We people, human beings, have such a tendency that when we've been wrong to focus on the wrong itself that was done or on the person who did wrong or on ourselves as the victim. As long as these are our focus, as long as we focus on the evildoer or the wrong that was done or ourselves as victim, we will never be able to forgive as Jesus told us to forgive. But if, even for a moment, we cannot focus on ourselves or the wrong or the wrongdoer, if instead we can focus on Jesus, then we will find our way to forgiveness. Jesus forgave those who did terrible wrong even when they did not seek forgiveness and even when they did not deserve it. And that includes us. Jesus forgave us even before we had acknowledged our own sin before we had asked for forgiveness, before we deserved forgiveness. He died for us because he loved us. In Romans 5.8, Paul says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. In other words, before we deserved forgiveness, he forgave us. So we are to love as Jesus loved us. We are to forgive as Jesus forgave us. And we can do so, perhaps we can do so only, if we focus not on the wrong, but we focus on Jesus. If we focus on the one who is our model for forgiving and for loving in spite of great wrongdoing. And I will end with one example of how it is possible, in today's world even, to forgive great wrongs. In 2006, a man named Charles Roberts walked into the West Nickel Mine School, an Amish school in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, with a gun. He first forced the adults and the boys of the school to leave so that only 10 little girls, aged 6 to 13, remained in the building with him. While his motives still are not completely clear, it's believed that his actions were at least partly motivated by his anger at God that many years before a newborn daughter of his, had died shortly after birth. With only the ten little girls left in the school with him, Roberts proceeded to shoot them, at least to shoot eight of them, killing five instantly and severely wounding three others before the state troopers, responding to the shots, broke down the door, and Roberts shot him and killed himself. Now, I don't share the macabre details of these killings for the thrill of it, but because I want to introduce to you what happened later, if you're not aware. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning young relatives not to hate the killer. He said, we must not think evil of this man. Another local resident said publicly, I don't think there's anyone here who wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts an amish neighbor comforted the roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them on behalf of the community amish community members visited and comfort roberts's widow his parents and his parents in law one amish man held robert's sobbing father in his arms reportedly for an hour to comfort him. The Amish then set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Roberts' funeral, more than the non-Amish that attended. And Marie Roberts, the widower of the killer, was one of the only outsiders who was invited to the funeral of one of the victims. Marie Roberts the killer's wife, wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbors thanking them for their forgiveness, for their grace, and their mercy. She wrote this, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. Those Amish families were Christians, And they knew what it means to forgive as Jesus forgave, not because the wrongdoer repented or because he asked for forgiveness and certainly not because he deserved forgiveness by any measure. They were able to forgive because their eyes were on Jesus. And with that as their focus, they were able to forgive even so great an evil as the one that they suffered. May God give us the grace and the wisdom to also learn to forgive by turning our eyes on Jesus and remembering how much he has forgiven of us. Amen.